Now, the sermon we're going to share together this evening is, um, is written by Andrew Murray. He's, uh, he was a, a pastor in the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa. He uh, was ordained in 1848 and died in 1905. Uh, him and his family, his wife had eight children, four boys and four girls. Uh, throughout his life, he suffered from severe pain in his arms and hands. The doctors said there was no cure for. And he um, wrote many books and devotionals as well. I have a devotional by him that I've enjoyed very much. And uh, his emphasis is quite largely on the emphasis of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and um, how we need God's Spirit to uh, to be able to live the Christian life. So that comes through also in this message uh, this evening from, uh, from Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm going to begin this sermon first and then in a few moments I'll get to the scripture passage which comes from Galatians 5 verse 16 to 17. And verse 22 to 25. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The point which we want to explore this afternoon, as Andrew Murray explains, is a life filled with the Holy Spirit and how, in a practical way, this life reveals itself in our daily walk and conduct. Under the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit often came upon men as a divine spirit of revelation to reveal the mysteries of God or for power to do the work of God. But he did not dwell in them than he does as he does in us now. In the New Testament, the gift of the indwelling spirit was given, animating and renewing the whole life. When God gives the Holy Spirit, his great object is the formation of a holy character. It is the gift of a holy mind and spiritual disposition. And what we need above everything else is to say, I must have the Holy Spirit sanctifying my whole inner life if I am really to live for God's glory. You might say that when Christ promised the Spirit to the disciples, he did so that they might have power to be witnesses. True, but then they received the Holy Spirit in such heavenly power and reality that he took possession of their whole being at once and so fitted them as holy men for doing the work with power as they had to do it. Christ spoke of power to the disciples, but it was the Spirit filling their whole being that worked the power now we'll read our scripture passage from Galatians chapter 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. Verse 22, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We will focus this afternoon on the first part of verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. In Romans 13, verse 10, we read that love is the fulfilling of the law. And my desire is to speak on love as a fruit of the Spirit and how we are to depend on the Spirit's power to love one another with a self-sacrificing, self-denying, Christ-like love. May this word be a searchlight in our hearts and test all our thoughts about the Holy Spirit and our experience of the holy life. Has this been our daily habit to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit as the spirit of love? Has it been our experience that the more we have of the Holy Spirit, the more loving we become? In claiming the Holy Spirit, we should make this the first object of our expectation. The Holy Spirit comes as a spirit of love. If this were true in the Church of Christ, how different her state would be. May God help us to get a hold of this simple heavenly truth that the fruit of the Spirit is a love which appears in each of our lives. Just as the Holy Spirit gets real possession of our lives, our hearts will be filled with real, divine, universal love. One of the great reasons why God cannot bless his church is the lack of love. John 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. When the body is divided, there cannot be strength. In the time of the great religious wars, when Holland stood against Spain, one of their mottos was, unity gives strength. It is only when God's people stand as one body, one before God in the fellowship of love, one toward another in deep affection, one before the world in a love that the world can see, it is only then that we will have power to secure this blessing which we ask of God. Remember that if a jar is broken, cracked into pieces, it cannot be filled. You can take a piece of the cracked jar and scoop up uh, some water, but if you want the jar full, the vessel must be whole. That is literally true of Christ's church. If there is one thing we must pray for, it is this. Lord, melt us together into one by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit, who at Pentecost made them all of one heart and one soul, do his blessed work among us. Praise God, we can love each other with a divine love, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. Give yourselves up to love, and the Holy Spirit will come. Receive the Spirit, and he will teach you to love more. God is love. Now, why is it that the fruit of the Spirit is love? Because 1 John 4 verse 8 tells us God is love. And what does that mean? It is the very nature and being of God to delight in communicating himself. God has no selfishness. God keeps nothing to himself. God's nature is to be always giving. You see it in the sun and the moon and the stars, in every flower and every bird in the air, in every fish in the sea. 
God communicates life to his creatures. God delights to pour his love into us. Why? Because God keeps nothing for himself. From eternity, God had his only begotten son, and God gave him all things. Nothing God had was kept back. We can understand the Trinity as a revelation of divine love. The spirit of Pentecost, the spirit of the Father, and the spirit of the Son is love, and the fruit of the spirit is love. Mankind needs love. The one great need of mankind, the one thing which Christ's redemption came to accomplish, was to restore love to this world. When man sinned, selfishness triumphed. He sought self instead of God. Adam at once begins to accuse the woman of having led him astray. Love to God had gone. Love to man was lost. Sin had robbed the world of love. What a proof the history of the world has been of love having been lost. One of the worst things sin did for man was to make him selfish. For selfishness cannot love. The Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven as the son of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's son came to show what love is, and he lived the life of love here on earth in fellowship with his disciples, in compassion over the poor and miserable, in love even to his enemies. And he died the death of love. And when he went back to heaven, whom did he send down? The spirit of love to come and banish selfishness, envy, and pride, and bring the love of God into the hearts of men. The fruit of the spirit is love. And what was the preparation for the promise of the Holy Spirit? Before Christ promised the Holy Spirit, he gave a new commandment, John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so love ye one another. To them, his dying love was to be the only law of their conduct and fellowship with each other. What a message to those fishermen, full of pride and selfishness. Learn to love each other, said Christ, as I have loved you. And by the grace of God, they did. When Pentecost came, they were of one heart and one soul. Christ did it for them through his Holy Spirit. And now he calls us to live and to walk in love. He demands that though a man hate you, you still love him. True love cannot be conquered by anything in heaven or on earth. The more hatred there is, the more love triumphs through it all and shows its true nature. This is the love that Christ commanded his disciples to exercise. What more did he say? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Christ said to his disciples, in effect, I give you a badge, and that badge is love. That is to be your mark. Love is the only thing in heaven or on earth by which men can know me. 
What if we were to ask the world, have you seen us wear the badge of love? Would it say, no, what we have heard of the Church of Christ is that there is not a place where there is no quarreling and separation. Let us ask God with one heart that we may wear the badge of Jesus' love. Love conquers selfishness. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Why? Because nothing but love can expel and conquer our selfishness. Self is the great curse, whether in its relation to God or to our fellow man in general, or to fellow Christians, thinking of ourselves and seeking our own. But praise God, Christ came to redeem us from self. We sometimes talk about deliverance from the self-life, but I am afraid some people think deliverance from the self-life means that now they are no longer going to have any trouble in serving God. They forget that deliverance from the self-life means to be a vessel overflowing with love to everybody at all times. And I bring you the glorious promise of Christ that he is able to fill our hearts with love. I fail continually, we must confess. And what is the reason? The reason is simply this. We have not learned to believe and accept the truth that the Holy Spirit can pour God's love into our hearts. We read that text and limit it to mean the love of God for me only. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, Romans 5, verse 5. It has often been understood in this sense. It means the love of God to me. What a limitation. That is only the beginning. The love of God is always the love of God in its entirety, in its fullness as an indwelling power. It is the love of God to me that leaps back to him in love and overflows to my family and my fellow men in love. God's love to me and my love to God and my love to my fellow men. The three are one. You cannot separate them. Again, you say, how little I have understood that. Why is a lamb always gentle? Because that is its nature. Does it cost the lamb any trouble to be gentle? No. Why not? Has a lamb to study to be gentle? No. Why does that come so easy? It is its nature. And a wolf, why does it cost a wolf no trouble to be cruel and to put its fangs into the poor lamb or sheep? Because that is its nature. It does not have to summon up its courage. The wolf, wolf's nature is already there. How can I learn to love? I cannot learn to love until the Spirit of God fills my heart with God's love. And I begin to long for God's love in a very different sense from which I have sought it so selfishly as a comfort, a joy, a happiness, and a pleasure to myself. I will not learn it until I realize that God is love and to claim and receive it as an indwelling power for self-sacrifice. I will not love until I begin to see that my glory, my blessedness, is to be like God and like Christ in giving up everything in myself for my family and my fellow men. May God teach us this. 
Oh, the divine blessedness of the love with which the Holy Spirit can fill our hearts. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is God's gift. How often when we speak about the consecrated life, we have to speak about our, our temper or how we react to those around us when we are bothered by them. People have sometimes said, you make too much of temper. I do not think we can make too much of it. Think for a moment about a clock. The hands tell us what is with, what's within the clock, and I, if I see that the hands stand still, or that the hands point wrong, or that the clock is slow or fast, I say that something inside the clock is not working properly. And temper is just like the revelation that the clock gives of what is within. Temper is a proof whether the love of Christ is filling the heart or not. How many there are who find it easier in church or in work for the Lord, diligent, earnest work to be holy and happy than in the daily life with wife and children? How many find it easier to be holy and happy outside the home <coughs> than, it, than in it? Where is the love of God? In Christ, God has prepared for us a wonderful redemption and he longs to make something supernatural of us. Have we learned to long for it, ask for it, and expect it in its fullness? Then there is the tongue. We sometimes speak of the tongue when we talk of the better life and the restful life. But just think of what liberty many Christians give to their tongues. They say, I have a right to think what I like when they speak about each other, when they speak about their neighbors, when they speak about other Christians, how often there are sharp remarks. God, keep us from saying anything that would be unloving. God, shut our mouths if we are not to speak in tender love. How often sharp criticism, sharp judgment, hasty opinion, unloving words, secret contempt of each other, secret condemnation of each other, are found among Christians who are banded together in work. Just as a mother's love covers her children and delights in them and has the tenderest compassion with their mistakes or failures, so there ought to be in the heart of every believer a motherly love toward every brother and sister in Christ. Have you aimed at that? Have you sought it? Have you ever pleaded for it? Jesus Christ said, as I have loved you, ye also love one another. And he did not put that among the other commandments, but he said in effect, that is a new commandment. The one commandment, love one another as I have loved you. It is in our daily life and conduct that the fruit of the Spirit is love. From that comes all the graces and virtues in which love is manifested. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, no sharpness or hardness in your tone, no unkindness or selfishness, meekness before God and man. You see that all these are the gentler virtues. I have often thought as I read the words in Colossians, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, beloved mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, that if we had written this, we would have put in the foreground the strong virtues, such as zeal, courage, and diligence. 
but we need to see how the gentler, most tender virtues are especially connected with dependence on the Holy Spirit. These are indeed heavenly graces. Christ was needed to come from heaven to teach us. Your blessedness is long-suffering, meekness, kindness. Your glory is humility before God. The fruit of the Spirit that he brought from heaven out of the heart of the crucified Christ and that he gives in our heart is first and foremost love. John says, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us. That is, I cannot see God, but as a compensation, I can see my brother. And if I love him, God dwells in me. Is that really true? That I cannot see God, but I must love my brother, and God will dwell in me? Loving my brother is the way to real fellowship with God. John further says in that most solemn test, if a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? Perhaps there is a brother, a most unlovable man. He worries you every time you meet him. He is a, of a very opposite disposition to yours. You are a genuine businessman, businessman, and you have to associate with him in your business. He is most untidy, unbusinesslike person. You say, I cannot love him. Friend, you have not learned the lesson that Christ wanted to teach above everything. Let a man be what he will. You are to love him. Love is to be the fruit of the Spirit all the day and every day. Yes, if you don't love that unlovable man whom you have seen, how can you love God and whom, whom you have not seen? You can deceive yourself with beautiful thoughts about loving God. You must prove your love to God by your love to your neighbor, your brother. That is the one standard by which God will judge your love to him. If the love of God is in your heart, you will love your brother. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And now we ask, what is the reason that God's Holy Spirit cannot come in power? Is it not possible? You remember the comparison I used in speaking of the jar? I can dip a little water into it, but if a jar is to be full, it must be unbroken. And the children of God, wherever they come together, to whatever church or society they belong to, must love each other intensely, or the Spirit of God cannot do his work. We talk about grieving the Spirit of God by worldliness and ritualism, formality and error and indifference, but I tell you the one thing above everything that grieves God's Spirit is this lack of love. Let every heart search itself and ask that God may search it. Our love shows God's power. Why are we taught that the fruit of the Spirit is love? Because the Spirit of God has come to make our daily life an exhibition of divine power and a revelation of what God can do for his children. In the second and the fourth chapters of Acts, we read that the disciples were of one heart and of one soul. During the three years they had walked with Christ, they never had been in that spirit. All Christ's teaching could not make them of one heart and one soul. But the Holy Spirit came from heaven and shed the love of God in their hearts, and they were of one heart and one soul.
the same Holy Spirit that brought the love of heaven into their hearts must fill us too. Nothing less will do. Even as Christ died, Christ did, one might preach love for three years with the tongue of an angel, but that would not teach any man to love unless the power of the Holy Spirit should come upon him to bring the love of heaven into his heart. Think of the church at large. What divisions there have been over theological or doctrinal issues. What differences there caused among believers by such questions. That there are differences of opinion does not trouble me. We do not have the same constitution and temperament and mind. But how often hate, bitterness, contempt, separation, and unlovingness are caused by the holiest truths of God's word. Our doctrines, our creeds, have been more important than love. We often think we are valiant for the truth, and we forget God's command to speak the truth in love. And it was so in the time of the Reformation between the Lutheran and Calvinistic churches. What bitterness there was in regard to communion, which was meant to be the bond of union among all believers. And so through the ages, the very dearest truths of God have become mountains that have separated us. If we want to pray in power, and if we want to expect the Holy Spirit to come down in power, and if we indeed want God to pour out his Spirit, we must enter into a covenant with God that will love, we will love one another with a heavenly love. Are you ready for that? Only that is true love that is large enough to take in all God's children, the most unloving and unlovable and unworthy and unbearable. If my vow, absolute surrender to God, is sincere, then it must mean absolute surrender to the divine love to fill me. I must be a servant of love to love every child of God around me. The fruit of the Spirit is love. God did something wonderful when he gave Christ and the Holy Spirit to come down out of the heart of the Father. And have we degraded the Holy Spirit into a mere power by which we do our work? God forgive us. Oh, that the Holy Spirit might be held in honor as a power to fill us with the very life and nature of God and of Christ. Christian work requires love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I ask once again, why is it so? And the answer comes, it is the only power in which we Christians can do our work. Yes, it is love that we need. We want no, not only love that is to bind us to each other, but we want a divine love in our work for the lost around us. Do we not often undertake a great deal of Christian work, just as people who do work of philanthropy, or simply because we were asked to do it? with zeal but lacking a baptism of love? Yes, if the love of God is in our hearts, what a difference it makes. Brother, sister, ask God to baptize you with the spirit of love, and love will find its way. God fills us with love. And lastly, love inspires intercession. Once again, it is only love that can fit us for the work of intercession. I have said that love must fit us for our work. Do you know what the hardest and the most important work is that has to be done for this sinful world? It is the work of intercession. 
the work of going to God and taking time to lay hold of him. Take time to pray for the church of Christ. Paul did not tell people to pray, first of all, for the heathen or the unconverted, but to pray for believers. Make this your first prayer every day. Lord, bless your saints everywhere. Plead for God's people that he would visit them. Plead for each other. Plead for all believers doing his work. Let love fill your heart. Ask Christ to pour fresh love into you every day. Know that by the Holy Spirit of God, I am separated unto the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. Have you a lack of love to confess before God? Then make confession and say, O Lord, I confess my lack of heart, my lack of love. And then as you lay that at his feet, believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses you, that he comes in his mighty cleansing and saving power to deliver you, and he will give you, give his Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Amen.